Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. that y'all are here. Man, I have never forgot my microphone in my seat before, but that's a new one. Uh, good stuff. So, hey, we're glad you're here, uh, man, in, in week, what is it, four of our growth series? And so uh, it's been a great series so far. And really the point of this series is that you would grow spiritually. And there's things that are clearly laid out in scripture that will help us grow. And man, uh, we should have just made tonight a worship night, man. They were killing it. Uh, I, I just love our band. And so, so thankful for them. And uh, glad you guys are here. Glad to spend uh, another Tuesday with y'all. And tonight, in our Grow series, we are talking about the topic of generosity, okay? Generosity. And uh, the thing is that we're going to talk about, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about money, talking about your money and your finances. So it's going to be a good time. Some of y'all, I ain't got no money. Some of y'all are trying to get some money, but uh, I would say that that's most of our crowd. Some of y'all probably have it, so that's good for you. And uh, we're talking about generosity. I wanted to open up tonight. I was like, hey, what's like a little bit of a heavy topic, right, sometimes, or maybe uh, it it could be awkward uh, at times, but what is the dumbest thing the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on. I wish we could get an Instagram poll going uh, on what is the dumbest thing that we've spent money on. And if you're like me, I had to really think about this. I had to dig through the vault um, because I'm married now, so most of my purchases uh, are kind of screened, I would say, uh, and and especially when it comes to what I wear. Uh, And so I want to show you guys a picture of the dumbest purchase I ever made. And uh, it'll be up on the screen. That's me in... uh, in the white glasses, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't even know, oh man. So like, let me just give you a little background. I'm 28, so this was 2009 prom season, and Kanye West had some sunglasses like this in a music video. This is pre-saved Kanye, okay? And uh, I was wearing these glasses to my prom, and notice that I, I couldn't have just a white pinstripe suit as if that was bad enough, or tuxedo, I actually had to add the glasses to it as well. See, because here's the thing, in this picture, these are my friends here, they're all dumb too, all right? Look how stupid they look in these glasses. But I'm the one that now looks the dumbest, okay? So I, like down the road here, that's how poor of a choice I made. I have no idea what that costs, all right? But had someone given that to me for free, it still would not be okay. And this is not a relationship series, but I just want to let you know, I got married, like this guy right here, I got married. So there is hope for you. Um, If you're feeling like you're struggling, like some of y'all aren't, I was 18 when this picture was taken. And so some of y'all aren't that much older than that right now. Uh, So just know there is hope for you after all. But that is one of the dumbest things that I have ever spent money on. And I'm sure someone in here could top it, but that, that like we spend money on some dumb things sometimes. That was mine. And I want to ask you as we're talking about money, why do you think about money, about finances, the way you think about it? Why do you think about it that way? How did you grow up? Like, what did you see your parents do? Maybe you saw your parents mishandle finances. Maybe you saw your parents be super frugal, and so you just want to spend and, like, get out on your own. Why why do you view it? Is it because of your parents? Is it because of the people that you hang out with? How do you view your finances? How do you view money? 
And money's important. Raise your hand if you have made a decision in the past week or month based on finances. Anybody? Oh, okay, 100% of us, right? Probably today you made a decision based on money. So it's important to us. It's something that uh, it matters to us. Like there's obviously a value in money, and so we care about it. But I think there's two things. I think these topics are very similar. We, we talk about one in church a lot, and the other we talk about as well, but sometimes we don't dive into it in the same way. But where do most people's mistakes lie? I bet if you ask most people, most of their shame or most of their uh, feeling like they need to make improvements would probably come uh, in, the, in the topics of sexuality and finances. Those are two places people make a lot of mistakes. Those are two places that really drive a lot of our motivations, especially at the stage of life we're in. In young adulthood, you're trying to establish yourself financially. Uh, There's so many different opportunities and options of what you're going to do, where you're going to work, what you're going to study, um, you know, how how you're going to go about paying things. Like, this is a big deal to us. And so I think it would be, um, and, and I know it would not be a good idea for us then to leave God out of the equation when it comes to our finances. And I want to just preface this and say that, that if, if, like, finances, when we talk about money and when we talk about generosity— I want you to think about this as we begin to talk, because I don't know where everybody is on their faith journey in here, but this is why I think money is so important, all right? If you are a Christ follower and you don't view money the way that God views money, the way that if you don't approach your financial situation in the way that God would have you approach that, if you don't live your life in a generous way, why would anyone be attracted to your lifestyle? Why would anyone be attracted to a group of people who are, this is what we believe at this church, all right? This is what Christ followers believe around the globe, is that God created us, that he made us for a purpose in this world, and that he's the creator of all things and holds all things together. So if you've met someone who is a Christ follower and does not trust God with their money, does not look at what scripture has to say about their money, I would say that's a very shallow thing. If God is the creator, right? If he's he's the creator and gives us purpose, we need to know what his view is on this. And clearly in scripture we see that this idea of being generous is something that we need to engage in. That it's a discipline. It's something we can do to help us grow in our relationship with God. Y'all want to be around generous people? Like if I was just handing out $100 bills before the service, I would probably be pretty popular, okay? And, and we like generous people. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to look at secular research that's done outside of a religious purpose. But I looked at the, the, I've talked about this before when I've talked about giving, that there was a study done in New Zealand. All good studies are done in New Zealand, okay? Have you all noticed that? Every study is done in New Zealand. It's like, oh, cool, yeah, we'll report that. And so there's this study done where they, they gave uh, 50 participants in this study, or 100, I can't remember how many it was, but they gave them $100 to spend. And one group, they told, hey, you have to spend this money on yourself. And the other group, they said, you take this money and you spend it on other people. And they observed three different regions of the brain. And what they did was then they looked at it and they scanned it. And they noticed that when it comes to happiness and feelings of positive emotion, that the people who were giving that money away actually had more interaction between those sections of their brain. 
Like that, that's, that's incredible. That generosity is something we are wired to do as human beings. And what's funny is that that really just positively, that positively correlates to what scripture says. Could it be that the God who created us wired us to be generous, right? That you'll see secular research over and over again point to this, that generous people are happier. Do you wanna be happier? Do you wanna be around generous people? Do you want to be a community of generous people? Because that's going to be a good thing. And God says, hey, this is something that you're going to grow in. And so we're going to just kind of dive into this topic tonight. I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 18 with me. And we're going to be starting in a parable. And what a parable is, is it's a story that Jesus is telling. And I've heard it said this before, that anytime you see Jesus telling a parable, which he was, he was teaching his disciples, those who were following him, a lesson, Right? He was teaching them about the characteristics of God. And so anytime we see a parable, we should identify where are we in the story and then who is God in the story. I've heard it said that before, and I really like that because it puts us in a good mindset. And so Matthew chapter 18, and this is a parable dealing with forgiveness, and this is what it says. Then Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples in his inner circle, spent a ton of time with Jesus, came up to him and said, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Like, that's a lot, okay? If someone messes, uh, you know, uh, if someone makes mistakes towards you and you forgive them seven times, you're a pretty good person, I would think. But Jesus says to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, verse 23, I just messed that all up. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees He fell on his knees, imploring him, right, begging him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant, the king here in this situation, after that, he went to him and he said, he said to him, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who, oh, I'm sorry, back up here. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned to him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so what do we see there? This is a story of what forgiveness should look like. It's a story of what forgiveness should look like. But it also teaches us about the character of God. And what is the character of God? Is that the character of God, right? God is the king in this story. The character of God is that of generosity. 
It's one of generosity. And when we look at this parable and we equate it into today's, uh, into to, to today's financial situation, we look at it today's financial outlook. So this, this guy owed 10,000 talents, all right? One talent, one talent was 20 years worth of wages. So this guy owed 10,000. That means he would have to work for 200,000 years if he was working at minimum wage, right? If he was working at minimum wage like just what the average guy was making, he would have to work for 200,000 years to be able to pay, him, pay that off. In today's, in today's world, that would be over $7 billion that this guy owed. Seven billion dollars. That's a lot of money. And, and, and really what you're thinking here with this parable is this, is that you can't even pay that back. He owed so much there was no way he was going to be able to pay that back. And what did he do is he went to someone who owed him a hundred denarii and a, a denarii was worth one day's wage. So this guy would have, uh, the guy that owed him, owed him about four months worth of wages, which would equate to about $10,000 in our society right now. So from seven billion he had been forgiven from, he wasn't going to forgive this $10,000 debt that was owed to him. But really the characteristic of God, like I mentioned already, that we're focused on is that God is a God of generosity. Yes, it's a parable of forgiveness. And that, that it just shows like this is representative of who we are. Our, our sin, the weight of the mistakes that we have made and the wrongdoing we, done, we have done is equivalent to that seven billion. There's nothing you can do to forgive yourself from your own sin, from your own mistakes. All of us share in that. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do on our own to be forgiven for that. But don't you love, like, this, this guy was on his knees begging, and, and what, what God was saying in this is like, hey, I'm going to free you of that debt that you owe. Because this guy couldn't do anything. And that's the God of generosity. And I don't know uh, if you feel this like I do. I, I, I'm imagining that you do. Is have you felt the weight of your own sin before? Like, think about you in your worst moment your worst mistakes, your biggest regrets, the shame you carry around from doing those things. Like we, we all know that, that there's only one person who can forgive us of that debt that we owe and it's God. And he gives it generously. In scripture it tells us that God has given us a gift, a free gift, that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, free of sin. He didn't owe any debt but he still went to the cross and he took on all of our debt because he wanted to give us that free gift that when we accept in Jesus and when we make him the Lord of our life and we follow after him, that we've been forgiven of so great a debt. That's an amazing, like that. we need that. Because when you really get to the end of yourself and when you really realize, I can't, I can't do anything about my own sin. That God comes in and he so generously gives to us, so generously gives to us freedom from our bondage, from our shame. That God is a God of generosity. And so since God is a God of generosity, we should echo that in every part of our life. To make Jesus the Lord of your life. I was talking with Jared about this and he's like, I really it's like an issue of like money gets wrapped around our heart. And it battles for like jockeying for position with God, where God's got to be at the top. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then he's above everything else. 
But I think what Satan wants to do, what the enemy wants to do a lot of times is come in and, and put that to where it's jockeying for that number one position. And that can be for so many things, not just money. So how can we approach finances the way that God wants us to? How can we do that so we can engage in this discipline that we, can, we, we owe God that? How do we grow in this? And so what does it look like? Um, you know, if God is a God who values generosity, what does it look like then? How should a Christian approach their financial situation? And what we talk about um, a, a lot is this topic of tithing. You've probably heard this in church before. You hear about tithes and uh, offerings and things like this. And what exactly does that mean? And I think where most of us want to land, uh, I'm kind of a black and white person. I'm like, can you just tell me how much I need to give? Can you just like give me the exact amount of money that I need to give so I can call it good and check the box off? I was talking with my friend Aaron Stevens who's in here tonight and we were sitting in our, uh, our, our small group and this is why you need to be in community. And he was talking about how when he first came to school, he was just checking boxes off of things he needed to accomplish spiritually. And really God just revealed all of this stuff that there's no way he could check off all the boxes. He needed to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to be able to help him. When it comes to our finances, this is not something we just check off the box, but it's a discipline that we can grow in. And so what should giving look like as a Christ follower? I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses through six, uh, verse 6 through 10. And really this entire chapter right here in Scripture is talking about giving. I would encourage you to go and read it because it would give a lot of insight into what we're talking about. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul, who is a leader in the early church, is writing to the church at Corinth. And he is speaking on behalf of God under the authority of God and telling these people as a leader how they should approach finances, how they should approach giving and generosity. And this is what he said to them. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And what we really see here is the attitude we should have when it comes to generosity. That this is kind of the attitude God lays out for us. Remember, if he's the creator God, if he's the creator God, this is the attitude he has laid out for us that we should have as we approach giving. Whoever sows sparingly and whoever sows bountifully, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give in his heart as he, each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Man, I'm the opposite of that so many times. Have y'all ever had a time where it's painful to give? 
where it doesn't really make sense and it doesn't really feel that great. But God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to be so focused on who I am that when you feel prompted to be in a generous situation or called to give something, that you would be able to do so with a cheerful heart. That you would be able to do so with a cheerful heart. And I think that what this looks like a lot of times is, uh, it, it does. I would equate it to this. I think it's similar in, in some ways. And I'm going to run with this for a second. But when you start working out for the first time, it doesn't feel real great, right? Your body's hurting, and uh, some of y'all have given up on some New Year's resolutions at this point. But go for it, you know? Make your own New Year's resolution spot again tonight. You can do it. Um, that's my encouragement pep talk. That's as good as I got. I'm a coach, and that's all I had in the tank. But uh, you can stick with it. But it doesn't feel very good when you start working out again for the first time. But over time, what happens is it actually becomes something you enjoy, something that you like to do, something that you uh, approach and that has benefit for you and it benefits your body, that this is something that needs to be a regular practice for us. So this is kind of the attitude behind it, that we should generously give with a cheerful heart, that God wants us to do that. He wants us to be giving with a cheerful heart. And so I mentioned that it's kind of a practice, right? And we, we mentioned tithe earlier and kind of what that meant. I want to dive into that a little bit further because I think it's really important that we understand and we talk about this further. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read through verses 1 through 4. And we kind of see the characteristic of God already, but like what's the action step that we are to take? And this is what the Apostle Paul again is saying earlier when he's writing to the church at Corinth. He's saying, now concerning the collection for the saints. Another way you could say that in other translations is the, now concerning the collection for God's people, right? Concerning the collection for God's people. He's writing to a group of believers who are gathering and following in the way of Jesus much like we would. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So what does this really mean? But what we really see here is a great depiction of what giving is supposed to look like. We see as a great depiction of what giving is supposed to look like. So in verse 1, I want you to see the word directed. Look at the word directed. Now, when we look back to the Greek, the New Testament is written in what is called Koine Greek, which was common Greek. That was, now when we get our English Bible, right, we're coming from translating that and transliterating that from the Greek. What a translation is, when you take one word and you translate it into another language, you're looking for a word that has a similar meaning as the word that you translated from. So a Greek word of whatever would translate into an English word that had the same meaning. But a transliteration is literally when you're taking the word, so like right now in its original language would be Greek, and you're comparing it to the new language it's being transliterated into. You're looking at this and saying what letters are similar and sounds are similar so that we can create a new word. And so the word that was in Greek here for directed is the word diatasso, diatasso, right? It's kind of a funny word, but diatasso means to arrange and to appoint, to ordain, prescribe, to give order. Why does this matter? Notice the last thing I said, like give order. 
when we look at where this word is used in the New Testament, this is why it's important. Like when you, when you dive in and study your Bible, like this isn't stuff that people who, you, you know, this is things that you can know and you can learn and you can study on your own. When we look at this word, it's used so often. This word diatasso is used in great importance of commanding someone to do something, of ordering someone to do something, of strongly directing someone to do something. This was a word that Jesus used several different times throughout his teaching, and it has a very strong purpose behind it, okay? So Paul wasn't just saying, hey, I think it would be a good idea for you to collect some money for the church. For the church. Like, he wasn't just saying, I think it would be a good idea. He was strongly directing them, ordering them, telling them to on behalf of God for this purpose. And what else does it say in verse 2? It says, on the first day of the week. At this time, these new believers who were following the way of Jesus, they were meeting often on the first day of the week to break bread, to gather. And he's saying on the first day of the week, do it. What does that tell us? Consistency. Consistency in giving. Consistency, same as working out. Consistency in giving is going to be a discipline that will grow your faith and grow you closer to God. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. That we all have a responsibility, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of uh, you know, where you're working or what stage in life you're in, is that each of us has something to give as he may prosper. So it's, a, it's, a, it's tailored to where we're at so that there will be no collecting when I come. That's important because it's not just an afterthought. Paul's saying, hey, this should already be done so that when I come, this is already finished. You're doing this, it's, it's with a purpose and with a thought, it's important. And when I arrive, I will send those whom I credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go, they will accompany me. He was giving and he, he was telling them to give, but let's do it in a responsible manner. Let's, you know, if you're giving to a church body, they should be doing it in a responsible manner and in an appropriate manner to not give money blindly. I would never encourage anyone to ever do that, but to give in a way that's done like with proper care and focus, that that's important. And so we see that it's directed, it's like it's commanded, and we see that it's done regularly. We see that it's done by everyone, and we see that it's done in a responsible manner. And so if you're like me, we still haven't really answered the question, how much should I give? And I want to take time to break this down. I know I'm going a little longer, but I want to take time to break this down because it's really important. You hear the word tithe, like we should give of our tithe all the time. And that's what we talk about in church. And so when we look at tithing, this is really a, a principle that we see first in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is before Jesus came. The New Testament is Jesus' walk here on earth and then after that. And so when we're looking at the Old Testament, this word tithe is really just coming from a Hebrew word, which is what the Old Testament was written in, meaning a tenth, meaning a tenth. And what this tithe was, was giving 10%, right? Giving a tenth of what they had, usually in the form of livestock and wheat and things like this. In their cultural context, that was their worth, that was their possession, that was what had value. Giving a tenth of that was what we saw. But we, we, you know what's unique is that we actually saw a tithe occur in three different places in the New Testament, or in three different ways. So the first thing is that God's people, the Israelite people, God's chosen people were told to tithe to the Levitical priests. 
What that means is there was 12 tribes in Israel, and there was the tribe of the Levites, and these were the guys who were responsible, the clan who was responsible for upholding the tabernacle of God. They were all about doing God's business. And so people were to support them and to give a tithe to them. We see this done in the Old Testament. There was the tithe to the Levitical priests. There was also a tithe of feasts. Now, you got to understand, before I explain this, God was interacting with the Israelite people in a different way than he is interacting with us now. He was very much present with them, like in their presence, in the tabernacle, that God was leading the Israelite people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night at times. Like God was there and he was present. And the tithe of feasts, what people were to do was to, and this is each year for both of these, the tithe to the Levitical priests and the tithe of the feast, that each year they were supposed to travel to where God's presence was. And how were they to do that travel? How were they to engage in this spiritual action is that they were to set aside this, if they were to set aside of wheat and of grain and whatever they chose, and they were to take that and they were to have a feast in the presence of God to rejoice in him, to worship with him. And if they didn't, if they weren't able to carry this tithe with them of what they had, they were to sell it, take the money, and then when they got there, they were buy back and be able to have a feast. So there was a tithe of the priests and there was a tithe of feasts. And these were done every year. But then there was also a third tithe that was done every third year. And a lot of times this is described as a tithe to the poor. And now a tithe to the poor, it kind of looked honestly similar. Some people say this, it looks similar to us paying taxes, okay? And so this tithe to the poor was done where it was a community effort where everybody gave in in order to take care of each other. That This is where we see this tithe take place. And so oftentimes in our, our modern day churches, we see a tithe as, hey, give 10% of what you have and we're good to go. But this would actually equate to anywhere between potentially 20 to 30% of their belongings. We're giving back to God. And so we, we a lot of times like, I never want, yeah, I hate this. I was telling some of my people in my community group about this. I hate this is when people say, uh, I, I see articles out there that's like seven reasons you should stop tithing. I hate that because I think that it, it, I understand what the heart of that statement is. Because we're, this is an Old Testament principle and we're living in this new covenant with Jesus, right? Jesus came to abolish the law. But I hate that because, I, I, I hate that because we, it's really just discouraging people from giving. Where I don't think it's unwise, when you're looking at how much should I give, I don't think it's unwise that you would set the goal of being able to give 10% what you have back to God. I don't think that's unwise at all. Now, but what is the characteristic of God? We see, what does Jesus say in the New Testament when he talks about the tithe specifically? In the occasion that he does, he, he's basically rebuking the Pharisees and saying this to them. Hey, you're tithing, you're giving of this mint and dill and cumin that you have, but your hearts are all jacked up. And you're not giving generously or with a joyful heart. So it really doesn't matter that you're giving or how much you're giving if you're not doing it with the right heart. They were doing it for a show. And so we see that in our own lives today now that we are to give with the right heart, but also we see that we are to give consistently and with a purpose. And so anytime we talk about tithing and how much you should give, like it's, I don't think a tithe would ever be unwise to get to, to give 10% of what you have back to God. However, 
if that's like just the goal and you check it off, we're missing the mark altogether. That's not like the be-all, end-all of what we're doing. Is hey, give 10% and you're good to go, like check it off the list. I hope that you can get there because I think it would be a very wise thing for you to do. I think it would be a good thing for you to do consistently in the New Testament, right, under this new covenant with Jesus, what we see is people gave well beyond 10% when they were giving. And so I think if the goal is just, hey, 10% and we're good and we're done, like, man, I think we're missing the mark then. That to live a life of generosity looks like, hey, how much can I give? God, this is yours anyway, and what can I give for it? And I, I, man, I I hate that because I want to get to the answer, right, of how much should I give? How much should I give? I can't tell you that tonight. But what I can tell you is that just like anything else, if money is at the number one spot and you're not willing to surrender it to God, then that's a problem. And what we challenged you in the workbook this week, and kind of as we close, and I asked the band to come back up, and and we're going to sing a couple more worship songs. What we're thinking about here is, how can you just act generously? I don't know where you're at with your giving. I don't know what you're doing with your giving. We're not ever going to be like a church that goes and looks, and this is uh, how much they gave, and you can either, you're either in or you're out. Like, we don't do that. But it is important because it is going to grow us closer to God. And I want to tell you this, that what you do in young adulthood oftentimes carries over into the rest of your life. And like in my stage of life now with a child and a wife that I'm responsible for taking care of, it doesn't always feel great to give that. And I have to reorient my heart and understand that what I have anyways is God's. And that I need to approach everything as if it's already his. That is really a matter of our heart and where our heart's at. And so what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to think about, remember the first question I asked was this, or the second question I asked, besides the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on, is, is this, is why do you think about money the way that you do? Does it have a control on you? Is it forcing you to make decisions that aren't honoring God? Is it forcing you to make decisions without you asking God about it? And when I was talking with Jared and Coco about this, it's funny because God, there's no way I could cover all of what the Bible has to say about generosity in one message. But it just shows the importance and highlights the importance of how you have to continue to engage in God's word. You have to continue to engage with him in prayer and checking your attitude in your heart. All of the spiritual disciplines we've talked about, they build with one another, and they help shape the others. And so I would hope, man, if I wasn't a Christ follower, I would never want to be around a group of people who were proclaiming that God was the creator of the universe, but weren't willing to sacrifice their money, right? It's not even theirs in the first place anyways, right? That How shallow of a faith would that be? I would want to be surrounded by a group of people who were willing to be generous with what they have. And that's what I pray for our community, that as you go throughout this next week, that you would have the opportunity to be generous. I just wanna ask you to bow your heads.